Welcome to the Midwest Marvel Podcast, a podcast for people passionate about pop culture. Man, that's a lot of peas. My name is Nick Adams. I am your host, aka Midwest Marvel Guy. You can find me on social media, TikTok at Midwest Marvel Guy, uh, over 40,000 followers right now. Instagram also at Midwest Marvel Guy. And then I believe the TikTok handle is MW Marvel Guy. Somehow Midwest was taken. So that's what we went with. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Very first ever podcast where we talk about all things Marvel, movies, TV shows, and just really anything related to pop culture and and just having fun. And so the goal of this is to build a positive pop culture community. So many fandoms have become toxic and I want to reverse that. I want to build a community that's positive, that supports each other, that has fun with each other and just enjoys the things that we're passionate about and enjoys it together. So that's what we're going to do. And today's podcast, we're going to talk about She-Hulk episode one. It released last Thursday. We're going to break it down, talk about what happened in the episode, theorize about what's to come, point out some of the things that I really enjoyed and I'm really looking forward to. And then also I'm going to give a quick review of Bullet Train. I went and saw that last night and it was an excellent movie. Going to talk briefly about that. And then that's going to pretty much cover the podcast. And that's going to be what a lot of these podcasts are going to be like. We're going to talk a lot about what's happening in the world of Marvel or in the world of TV and movies. And so obviously going to be a lot of She-Hulk moving forward for the next nine weeks because we luckily have nine weeks of that. It's so nice to move away from that six-episode formula that Disney Plus has been so tied to for their Marvel shows. And I'm hoping that this is a step in the right direction in terms of moving away from that six-episode and actually getting these to feel more like actual TV shows. So without further ado, let's dive into She-Hulk episode one. She-Hulk is the ninth Disney Plus Marvel show. Uh, some people consider it the eighth, but if you count I Am Groot, which I still feel like it's a show even though it was extremely short, it is technically the ninth show. It is the only show aside... Oh, uh, I can't remember how many episodes Groot had. It's the only show aside from WandaVision that broke away from the six-episode format, which is really exciting. And honestly, I enjoyed the show a lot. So, Let's start off with the synopsis of episode one, and then let's just get into it. Let's talk about it. So synopsis, the episode starts off with Jennifer Walters, a talented lawyer, preparing to make her closing argument for a court case she's on. Before going into court, Jennifer breaks the fourth wall, which is something I honestly am going to love about the show, and I can't wait to see the creative ways that they continue to do that. She breaks the fourth wall to tell us that she's a Hulk and begins to explain her backstory, which begins with Jennifer getting into a car accident while riding with her cousin Bruce, a.k.a. the Hulk. While bleeding, Jennifer tries to pull Bruce from the wreckage, but he's also bleeding, and his blood gets into her bloodstream, immediately transforming her into a She-Hulk. Jen runs into the woods and blacks out, wake, waking up near a dive bar where some women encounter her in her bruised and battered state in the bathroom and help clean her up. Jen then goes outside to wait for Bruce and is hit on by a couple of men until she transforms into She-Hulk and fends them off. Honestly, a really satisfying scene right there. Jen passes out again, next time waking up in Mexico, which turns out to be the off-the-grid location for the Hulk, as well as the lab where he referenced in Endgame where he merged the Hulk and Banner together. 
Much of the rest of the episode involves Bruce's mentoring Jennifer on how to be a Hulk and reminding her of the responsibilities she now has as a superhuman. Jennifer is resistant to this idea that she has any sort of responsibility other than being the lawyer that she is, and the two end up fighting it out, eventually destroying Bruce's bar, which Jennifer stays to help Bruce fix back up. After Bruce concedes to Jen's notion of wanting to stay a lawyer, Jen leaves and we're taken back to Jen's court case where she needs to make her closing argument. But before she does, Titania, played by Jamila Jamil, bursts through the courtroom wall, forcing Jen to transform to She-Hulk and take her down, ending the episode. A lot of stuff packed into one episode. It, it was definitely a fast-paced episode, but starting off with general thoughts, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Right from the get-go, to me, it felt so different from anything that Marvel had done so far. And to be completely honest, that's one of the things that I truly appreciate about Phase 4. I know Phase 4 gets a lot of hate, and to be honest, I don't understand it. I know there have been some duds. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't think there's been anything that I haven't enjoyed, but there are some things that I felt like could have been better. My, my biggest gripe with all of Phase 4, uh, and this is a polarizing project, my biggest gripe is with Thor Love and Thunder. And I know some people loved it, and, and more respect to them. If you loved Thor Love and Thunder, then that is totally okay. I have no problem with that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you shouldn't love it. Because I know for some people, that's their style, and that's what they enjoy, and they had a great time. And I know some people who consider it one of their more favorite MCU projects, period. And if that's you, good for you, man. I'm like, I'm happy for you. For me, it just wasn't right for me. Uh, maybe it's because I read the comics that that's largely based on that, that feature gore, and I just felt like we should have had so much more gore, and it honestly felt like it should have been a darker project than it was, and that's just not really Taika Waititi's thing, which again is fine. Like He's director, his style, whatever he wants to do is him. Uh, it just wasn't for me. Sorry, that was a digression. <laughs> anyway, I know people aren't loving Phase 4. I've thoroughly enjoyed Phase 4, and one of the things that I've liked is the fact that Phase 4 has been willing to do something different and do something different a lot. And it's kind of odd because I feel like one of the main criticisms I hear of Marvel lately is that everything feels the same. And I would argue that Phase 4 has been the most different than any MCU phase that we've had so far. I mean, we, we started off with WandaVision, right? And, and WandaVision was different right away in the sense that it was, excuse me, right away in the sense that it was a TV show. It was our first Marvel Disney Plus TV show, which was cool in and of itself. But then it was also super weird, right? Because we started off with like the, the, the sitcom, the old style sitcoms, and we didn't know what the heck was going on. And there was so much mystery surrounding the show. And it was a, it was a really good time. That was different. We had Eternals, which was also very different from anything Marvel had done. And a lot of people didn't like it for that reason. And, and I do think the movie had its faults. I enjoyed it. I felt like it could have been two movies, but I enjoyed Eternals. I appreciated it being different again. We also had arguably the biggest movie crossover in history with Spider-Man No Way Home. Different in the sense that we had Spider-Man from all the Sony projects come into one movie. We had Multiverse of Madness, which was Marvel... Marvel Studios' first dip into the waters of the horror genre, and Sam Raimi took the reins on that, and it was a very Sam Raimi-esque movie, but it was, I mean, it was great. I liked it way more the second time around, and I truly appreciate what they tried to do with that movie, and I'm excited to see what they can do with that type of genre going forward. 
Uh, we had Moon Knight, which fully embraced the weird, right? We haven't had a, a, a project embrace weirdness quite like Moon Knight has, but it also dove deeper into the topic of mental illness than any other Marvel project has so far. And that also is something I appreciated because it was willing to go where no projects had gone before. Uh, I'm sure as I'm thinking off the top of my head, I'm going to overlook and miss one. But all that to say, now we have She-Hulk, which is different in the sense that it feels like a 90s or 2000s style sitcom, like legal sitcom show. And I don't know, it, it just felt different right from the get-go. Within the first five minutes of watching the episode, I was like, man, like this does not feel like anything Marvel has done yet. And it ended up feeling that way for me throughout the entire episode, which I really loved. I enjoyed the comedy style so much. I was a little worried, mostly because, again, PTSD from Thor Love and Thunder. I felt the comedy was so over the top with that. And some of the jokes hit, but I felt like a lot of it was just unneeded and forced. And I just worried when I heard that She-Hulk was going to be a comedy. I was like, oh, no, is this going to be forced to? Are we just going to get another complete over the top project that didn't need to be that comedic? And it wasn't that at all. And maybe some people think it is. I didn't feel like the comedy is forced whatsoever. I thought it hit so well, and, and maybe I'll eat my words, maybe future episodes change, but for episode one at least, it was so good to me in terms of how the comedy landed and how it just really integrated in. Like The whole show just felt, the vibe was immaculate. Um, another thing I loved about this, and, and I feel like this is probably the first Disney Plus Marvel show to do this. But this episode actually felt like it was supposed to be a TV episode. It didn't feel like it was just a part of a large movie. And I feel like most of the Disney Plus shows, if not all of them, have felt like they were a part of a movie rather than like individual TV episodes. And that's not to say that individual TV episodes can't tie in together, but... I don't know. Something about it, it's, it's hard to explain. It just never quite felt like a TV show. It just always felt like it was a movie that was broken up into six parts. She-Hulk episode one did not feel that way at all. It, it felt like an episode of television. So I appreciated that about it. And, and, and lastly, before we get into some specific stuff, I loved Tatiana Maslany as Jen Walters. Uh, she was so charismatic and, and just so like her energy was just on, just on a different level. One thing I really felt like she did so well is that some actors and actresses, they just pull you in immediately. Like there's just something about the vibe that they give off and something about the way that they act that just pulls you in right away. Like you don't need any time to get to know this character right from the get go. You just know I'm going to love this person. And that's how I felt with her. Like right away, I was like, she's the perfect Jen Walters. She is, she, they could not have casted her better. And I felt that way throughout the entire episode. So I'm excited to see uh, what that ends up being like. So some of the stuff I want to dive into, let's talk origin story first, right? Because for people who aren't familiar with the comics, and I'm not going to you know, run this podcast under the impression that anyone is. I know a lot of people are, but I also know there are people that are just watching this completely disconnected from the comics. And that was me for a long time. And there is nothing wrong with that. And, and actually, there's, there's almost a beauty in that because you don't have anything to compare it to. And sometimes it's like when you watch a movie that is based on a book and you've read the book, you can't enjoy the movie because all you can think about is how the movie deviated from the book. And sometimes it can get that way with comics. And I feel like uh, comic book lovers can get too much on that side 
without realizing that maybe not everything translates super well on screen and some things need to be deviated from. And also it's a movie studio like they're just going to do what they want. Uh, so with the origin story of She-Hulk, uh, in the comics, her origin doesn't begin with her getting in a car crash with Bruce and his blood getting on her. Uh, her origin begins because she's being hunted down by a mobster by the name of Nick Trask. And Nick Trask ends up shooting her. And, and she is in a car, I believe, in the comics when this happens. So that, so that part lines up. But she shoot, uh, she gets shot by Nick Trask, and Bruce is with her, and Bruce has to take her in and immediately give her a blood transfusion, otherwise she's going to die. And uh, obviously, he's a scientist, he's super smart, and so he acts quickly and uses his own blood, and his own blood being transfused into her is what eventually transforms her into She-Hulk. And I don't believe it happens right away like it does in the show like immediately as soon as she got his blood in her stream she transformed i think in the comics she still stays jen until the mobsters show up and they figure out where her location is i believe they show up and try to finish the job and then when they do that she gets angry and she turns to she hulk then so there's a deviation and and some people have been upset about that and a lot of and some people have felt like that shouldn't be the case. Like, like they shouldn't have changed that. But personally, I, I actually think it works really well. And here's why. Because I don't believe that the Bruce that we have in the MCU would have actually given her a transfusion willingly. Because he is so... Like, like he does not want anybody to be Hulk at all. And I know in the comics it was similar too. Like, it's not like he was going around like, Hey, you want to be a Hulk? You want to be a Hulk? But, like, he doesn't wish that on anybody, especially not his own cousin. And and so I don't know that the Bruce that we know in the MCU would have done that. And so I, I, I think this works perfectly. And obviously we saw the shift from Sakaar, which I think is going to tie into a World War Hulk project. And we'll get into that here in a second, actually. But, yeah. I thought the origin story worked well. It also shortened it because you could have made an entire episode just on that encounter with Nick Trask. And then you have to do a backstory with him, right? You have to do his whole thing and where'd he come from? Why is he in the mix? And now that's another uh, piece to the puzzle that you have to figure out where to put it and how it fits. So I totally understand why they changed it. And honestly, I think it works. But let's talk about a World War Hulk project because I think that this, I mean, it's been rumored for a while and I think that this episode of She-Hulk really leans toward that and, and, and really makes it seem like I think that's going to end up being a thing. So for those who aren't familiar, World War Hulk is a comic storyline where uh, Hulk ends up getting banished from Earth by the Illuminati, right? The Illuminati that we saw in Multiverse of Madness. It's, it was made up of some different people in the comics than we saw in the movie. But nonetheless, it's that that same Illuminati. They banish Hulk from the Earth basically just because he's too dangerous. So they ship him out on a spaceship. So similar to what you saw in Ragnarok in the sense that Hulk leaves the Earth on a ship. But Hulk does it willingly in Ragnarok. And, or not in Ragnarok, in Age of Ultron going into Ragnarok. Doesn't do it willingly in the comics. He gets banned from Earth, basically. He does get sent to Sakaar, which lines up with what we saw in Ragnarok. But while he's on Sakaar, he ends up becoming king of the entire planet. He ends up finding a wife. And while he has that wife, 
the ship that the Illuminati used to banish Hulk from the Earth ends up exploding, and that explosion kills Hulk's pregnant wife and a lot of the citizens on Sakaar as well. Uh, Hulk, understandably, is upset. He thinks the Illuminati did this on purpose, and so he returns to Earth for vengeance, and thus you have World War Hulk. Uh, after this World War Hulk storyline, Hulk finds out that he has a son named Scar. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it, S-K-A-A-R. Uh, I don't know if it's pronounced the way Scar from Lion King is pronounced or not, but I'm just going to go with it. But he finds out he has a son who ends up coming to Earth seeking to kill his father because he finds out he has a father who abandoned him, and rightfully so. He's a little upset about it, although he doesn't know that uh, Hulk didn't know. Uh, he does end up having a battle with She-Hulk. Scar does. And he eventually has a confrontation with Hulk. Everything gets sorted out. There's a whole lot more into that story, and I'm not going to go into. But either way, I feel like the reappearance of a Sakaran ship like points to there possibly being some type of World War Hulk storyline. Now, obviously, Marvel would have to change a lot of it because Hulk was already on Sakaar, and he was on there for different reasons. He didn't become king of the planet, although he did become a celebrity, essentially. But that whole thing was different. But Marvel Marvel Studios is really good at uh, just changing things and still making it fit really well. And I know there are times where it doesn't work, but by and large, I think they do a really good job. And so I believe that this is pointing to a World War Hulk storyline. And I think that would be great because we, I think most people can agree, we need to see Rage Hulk back I do enjoy Professor Hulk, Smart Hulk, whatever you want to call him. I know a lot of people are upset about that. Um, I don't mind him, but I do want to see more Rage Hulk. So that's what I think of the World War Hulk storyline. Some other things I loved about this episode. I absolutely loved hearing Bruce talk about his relationship with Tony Stark. Um, it seemed... Like, Tony was so closed off from the world aside from his relationship with Pepper and with Happy. And, you know, obviously he had that relationship with Peter Parker as well, but that was different. It was more of a mentor-mentee or father-son type of relationship. And I don't, you know, we don't get the impression that it was something super frequent that happened, but he was around Pepper and Happy all the time. And, and it just doesn't sound like there were too many true good friends that he had, especially after Civil War. I loved hearing about that time period during the blip when they built the bar together and, you know, they, they worked in the lab on stuff together. And it just sounds like they spent so much time and had such a cr close relationship. It makes me feel like we need a mini series on that time period. Like, like I don't need a full blown six or nine episode show. Just give me like four episodes, like 10 to 15 minutes each. That just shows them doing stuff during the blip together. Shows them building the bar or or uh, Bruce building and Tony drinking. Or shows Tony uh, babbling on about Steve Rogers. Or has banter back and forth with them about who's the more intelligent scientist or inventor. I don't know. I just think it could be really fun. I don't think we'll ever actually get something like that. But man, that would be cool. Uh, so, so I really appreciated that. I also love the other Tony Stark references as well. Like we saw the helmet from Ultron, which I believe was Ultron's original helmet when he first came out of the lab. We also saw uh, shirts that seemed to be Tony Stark shirts, uh, all the different, all the different rock band t-shirts, 
And we've seen Tony Stark wear those throughout the course of the MCU. And we saw Bruce Banner wearing a t-shirt like that in Ragnarok. And now we see uh, She-Hulk wearing that t-shirt, those types of t-shirts in episode one. And again, I, I just think it's a little a little nod to Tony Stark. He, he still has his fingerprints all over the MCU, which I think is really cool. Because now we're almost completely finished with phase four. And yet Tony Stark is still coming up very very frequently and i absolutely love that uh i loved the pixar reference when bruce is trying to figure out what jennifer's limit is in terms of her anger and what's going to set her off to become she hulk and, and he throws her in that little like i don't know what you would call that just just that room and I and, and I love what she says too when, when the like the razor blades come out. She's like, "What do you use this for?" Which is such a fair question because what like what would you use that for other than a literal torture device? Which is what you know you're assuming that's not the purpose of it. So like, why was this there? It's not like he had just built that; it was already there. What the heck did he use it for? I would love to get an answer to that. I don't think we ever will. Um, but but I love that when he's talking about trying to elicit emotion, strong emotional responses, she, she says, put on a Pixar movie. And the scene where Bing Bong jumps off the wagon, which is such an emotionally traumatic scene, arguably the most emotional scene in all of Pixar. And I don't even know that it's really close. Uh, and, and immediately Bruce is like, no Bing Bong. Like, let's not even bring that up. That brings up PTSD. But I'm curious, and, and I think this may be the case, is this the first time that we get a Pixar reference in the MCU. I'm trying to rack my brain and I've seen all the projects multiple times and I don't feel like I can ever remember. I know there's been references to other Disney projects, Star Wars and such, but I don't know that we've ever gotten an actual Pixar reference, which got the wheels turning for me and made me think that we, I want to start seeing MCU characters reference Pixar characters that their actors correspond with. So for instance, in Loki season two, I really need Mo Mobius to have a scene where he finally gets his jet ski that we've all wanted him to have for so long. He finally gets the jet ski. And as he sits down on a jet ski and he gets ready to turn it on, he goes, okay, here we go. Speed. I am speed. To reference Lightning McQueen, like how awesome would that be? And it would, I mean, it would kind of fit. It wouldn't seem like it's too forced. Like I don't want him to just force stuff in just for the sake of having crossover references. I want it to fit, but I think you could make that work or, or have him say ka-chow at some point when he, when he does something cool just as like a random blurb. Uh, I don't know. I think Disney could have a lot of fun with that. And as long as it's not too frequent, I feel like it's fun when, when movie studios that have multiple properties reference some of their other properties within other projects. I don't know. Some people don't like it. I think it'd be super fun. Just don't overdo it. Uh, one other, So a cu couple of complaints that I've heard about the show that I don't know that I necessarily agree with. I don't have too much that I did not like about episode one. Uh, I, I do feel like the pacing was a little weird, but but it wasn't bad. It was better than a lot of Disney Plus shows, in my opinion. But one of the complaints that I've seen is that 
uh, people are complaining that uh, She-Hulk is all of a sudden like just superior to Hulk, right? Because she immediately can control her emotions. She doesn't have to wrestle with her inner Hulk. She just immediately understands how to be strong and do all these things. And I've seen people say, like, oh, like this makes no sense. There's no way that she should all of a sudden just be this good at being a Hulk. And a couple of pushbacks on that. One, in the comics, this is how She-Hulk is. And... She-Hulk, the one thing that differentiates her from Bruce is the fact that she immediately, like right from the get-go, has her wits about her. She has her intelligence. She can speak clearly, just like she can when she's Jennifer, but in Hulk form. And of course, we know for Hulk, that wasn't the case for a long time. And Jennifer's able to do that right away. So that's straight from the comics. And so if she has her intelligence and everything about her, it makes sense that she would be able to figure this stuff out so quickly because she's still her normal, like really smart, intelligent self. And which she is, she's a lawyer. She's insanely smart. So it makes perfect sense that she would figure these things out. Um, and I've seen some people talk about like she's stronger or, you know, better fighter or things like that, which I just don't buy. And I don't even feel like the episode actually lent itself to that. Hulk clearly showed that he was stronger. He chucked that big boulder into space and created an asteroid that's clearly going to uh, rain on someone's parade at some point. And then as, as far as being a fighter, I, ho I hope we all know that Hulk was holding back in that fight. Like, like he's not trying to kill his cousin. He's just trying to kind of put her in her place. But he knows that he could win if he really wanted to. And And, and I feel like that was clear. But for some people, maybe it wasn't. The other complaint that I've had, and, and I see Marvel fans complaining about this all the time, and we now know that there's a backstory for this, but I've seen people complaining that the CGI uh, was bad again, and you know it's been bad in a lot of Marvel projects, which, of course, uh, it has come out that Marvel has been extremely overworking their uh, special effects people that they contract out, which is super unfortunate, and I hope they figure that out and... Uh, yeah, create a really healthy work environment because they're so largely dependent on those special special effects artists that if they alienate them and people decide to stop taking jobs from Marvel, Marvel's in some trouble. So they need to figure that thing out. But nonetheless, I actually thought the CGI was pretty good in this project. I don't feel like there was really anything that I looked at and saw being visibly bad. I did feel that way in some other projects. Moon Knight definitely had moments where you looked right away, especially in episode one, that scene where they're in the car chase uh, along the mountain ridge and the logs fall off the mountain, off the truck. And like that was just such awful CGI. And I know it was only for like a second or two and it didn't bother me that much, but man, it was bad and it was noticeably bad to anyone. Uh, so, so there have been things like that that definitely could be better. But in this case, I didn't feel like it was bad. Yes, you like, yes, you could tell it's CGI, but I mean, that's kind of like, I don't feel like anything's ever going to look a thousand percent real as long as it's digital, especially when you're talking about something like a Hulk. It's just going to be hard to make that look real because that's not a real thing in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and especially when you have a show where the characters are largely CGI for most of the time, if you're looking for that, you're going to be able to notice it, but I feel like the CGI was vastly improved from what it was in the trailers. In the trailers that we first got months ago, the CGI for She-Hulk was horrific, and I agree with that. And they clearly heard those criticisms, and they cleaned it up. And I don't know. I felt like it looked good. 
thoughts on Daredevil's future appearances in this show. So obviously one of the things that people have been really excited about for She-Hulk is the return of Charlie Cox's Daredevil slash Matt Murdock, which I am definitely guilty as being one of those people because Daredevil is one of my top TV shows of all time, period. Not just superhero TV shows, but I think it's the best superhero show ever made. Um, And Daredevil is one of my favorite superheroes, period. So I am so excited to see his return and I know there's been a lot of controversy about whether or not Marvel is going to quote unquote Disneyfy him, however you want to interpret that. Uh, a lot of people feel like they're you know uh, Disney is going to turn Daredevil into this extremely cheesy character and just ruin everything that was built up by the Netflix TV show because obviously that was super dark and this project is not that. And I, honestly, I, I don't get any of that. I don't get any of that. Sometimes I think people like to complain just to complain. And there's a couple of thoughts I have about that. One, if you've ever watched Charlie Cox in an interview talking about Daredevil, you will know that there is no one on the planet Earth that loves the character of Daredevil more than Charlie Cox. Like, like he idolizes that role and holds that sacred. And I don't think there's any way that he's going to, one, do a project that uh, is going to completely tarnish and ruin the character. I just don't think he would allow it to happen. I think he'd refuse to do the project. Um, but two, he's a good enough actor that I think no matter what the script is, he's going to find a way to still make it his own. And I fully expect that to be the case uh, here in the She-Hulk show. And honestly, after seeing episode one and seeing just the vibe and the tone of it, like, yes, there was comedy, but also it just wasn't over the top. I'm so pumped to see him in this environment. I think he's going to be so good. And he's, he's funny. Like the Netflix show had some funny moments and there were moments where he was hilarious in that. And so I I think he's just going to fit so stinking well. And I think it'll, I think it'll be really good without it being cheesy, which a lot of people were afraid about. And the other thing is, I think this is going to be a great opportunity to see Charlie Cox's range with the character. Right, because because nobody's saying that this is the way the character is always going to be forever. This is just this project because it's She Hulk show. This is the tone, so they're not going to bring someone in and just have them be uber dark. Like that wouldn't fit at all. And that was part of the problem with uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. Is people felt like you know Gore's in there and he's extremely dark, which he is, and he should have been. Um, but then you had this happy go lucky movie, and you know, hey, it was just this contrast, this in inconsistent tone i don't think we're gonna get that i don't think he's gonna be goofy or anything like that but i think like charlie cox has the ability to be funny and i think it still leaves room for him to do his thing the way the character has been done before when his show comes around and daredevil born again those are kind of my thoughts on episode one looking ahead to week two some questions that i have some i believe will get answered some maybe not uh, one that I believe will get answered almost right away. Why was Titania there in the courtroom? What was the purpose of her showing up? Uh, there's no way it was. There's no way she was showing up for She-Hulk because no one except for uh, She-Hulk's best friend, and I'm blinking on her name. But there's nobody except her and Jennifer herself and Bruce. And I think she mentioned. Excuse me. I think she mentioned like one other person who knows that she's She-Hulk. So there's no way Ta- or Titania was showing up for her. I'm assuming she was showing up for. Uh, one of the opposing attorneys, or or maybe she was showing up for 
Jennifer, but didn't know Jennifer She-Hulk. She was just showing up because she has some kind of beef regarding the case that uh, Jennifer's working in that scene. So I think we'll find that out right away. I'm excited to learn more about her and and, and see where that storyline goes. Another question that I have is, is Jen going to get fired for being the She-Hulk, for secretly being this superhero? And And the reason that I ask that is because in the comics... She ends up getting fired from her job. And I don't believe it's just because she's the Hulk. I believe there are other reasons why she actually ends up getting fired. And she ends up working for a guy named Holden Holloway, who is actually the opposing attorney attorney in the case that we see Jennifer Walters working in this episode. And I, I don't feel like, I feel like that's not just coincidence. I feel like there's a reason he's there. I wouldn't surprise me if, we see her eventually work for him, and what they end up doing is they end up representing superheroes, and we know that that's kind of the direction that the show's going to take because Jennifer Walters is going to end up uh, representing Abomination. And so, or he's not a superhero, but just super people, essentially. So that's a question. It, is she going to get fired? Will she end up working for Holden Holloway like she does in the comics? Uh, another question I have is, is Daredevil showing up in episode two? I don't have any reason to believe that he is. Uh, the only reason I think that he might is because I've heard rumors that episode two's title is whose show is this? And there's nothing that hundred percent confirms that that's just something that's been floating around the internet. It is confirmed to be one of the titles. No one knows what the order of the episode titles is. If indeed episode two is whose show is this? It makes perfect sense that, daredevil would show up in this episode especially given the fact that so many people are so focused on him and his appearance and marvel has been very intentional with their uh with their promotion about this still being she hulk's show which i totally get and and i respect that i like that they're kind of pushing back on that a little bit more uh another question that i have more uh more more silly but are we gonna get some dirt on anybody else in the mcu we got some dirt on Steve Rogers in this episode, and that was honestly just such a hilarious sequence, especially in the end credits there. And so I'm just wondering, with with her investigative skills, is Jennifer Walters going to start like digging into other Avengers, digging into Tony Stark or anybody else or Thor, and find out all this weird, funny stuff and obsess over them throughout the course of the show? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe she'll just keep her obsession over Captain America, which would also be funny. But uh, either way, I'm curious to see if anything comes to that or if that's just going to be an episode one thing. Last thing on She-Hulk and then I'll get into Bullet Train and then we're wrapping up. Tatiana Maslany, I mentioned at the start, is is such a perfect actress for this role. Like She absolutely crushes it. And it got me thinking that we have had a lot of really, really good additions to the MCU in Phase 4. And again, all the hate for Phase 4, but man, we have some powerhouses as far as characters and actors and actresses are concerned. And it just it just got me wondering where she ranks. And, and I'd be curious to hear you guys' thoughts. You know, uh, If you're watching this on, on YouTube in the comments there, or you could come onto my TikTok and, and leave a comment. Um, and then obviously if you're watching on the podcast, you can just write in my email address is on my TikTok page, midwestmarvelguy at gmail.com. I would love to just hear your thoughts about the podcast episode and just the episode of She-Hulk in general. But where does she rank in terms of the newcomers? I, I feel like she's pretty high up there. So some of the really good ones that we've had, at least on the hero side, the villain side is a whole other argument because we've also had some really good villain additions, but you have Oscar Isaac as Stephen Grant and Mark Spector and shortly Jake Lockley. And he gave arguably 
the greatest acting performance in the MCU in Moon Knight. So that I mean that one's immediately up there. He's probably my favorite addition, but I'm biased because Moon Knight is also one of my favorite superheroes. It's my favorite Disney Plus show up to this point. Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop absolutely crushed it. She was my favorite part of Hawkeye. I thought her just her chemistry, her charisma was so stinking good. She was funny. I love that we got to see her wrestle with becoming a superhero and she like she didn't just get it right away. She really had to grow into the role and didn't really get there until the end of the show, which I liked. Uh, and then you had her chemistry with Florence Pugh's Yelena Belova, who we saw in both Hawkeye and in Black uh, Black Widow. And that's another, like, I need more of Kate Bishop and Yelena together because their scenes together were far and away the best scenes in all of Hawkeye. And I could have done an entire show just with them because of how good they were together. And then you also had uh, Simu Liu as Shang-Chi. I always mispronounce his name. Simu Liu as Shang-Chi was so good. And Shang-Chi, I feel like, is one of the most underrated and underappreciated movies, not just a Phase 4, but all of Marvel. It's it's probably a top 10 MCU movie for me. I feel like it was amazing. And I think there's an argument to be made for it being the best Phase 4 movie. Obviously, most people give that nod to No Way Home. But I think an argument can be made for Shang-Chi, especially just as a movie, because No Way Home, upon rewatching it, it definitely has some like storyline issues and, and some plot holes. But I mean, it's just so dang fun. So you have to love it. Where does Tatiana Maslany rank in that? Right from the get go. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of I mean, a lot of season, the whole rest of the season to go. But right from the get go, I I like her number two. I like her behind Oscar Isaac. He's my favorite addition. And I don't think that's going to change. But I think she could be my number two favorite ad and we'll see how the rest of the show goes, but curious to hear what you guys, what you guys think about that. That's She-Hulk though. That's episode one of She-Hulk. A lot of stuff in that episode and it was awesome. I, I am so excited for the rest of this show and I'm, I'm just so pumped that there's nine episodes. I, I keep forgetting that there's nine. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're one sixth of the way through. Like the show's almost over already. And it's like, no, we actually have a real TV show this time. And I really hope that Marvel just hears people and understands how important that is for us to get away from that horribly paced six episode format. It just like nothing about it works, man. It just doesn't work at all. And I love that we're going to get 18 episodes of daredevil. Like if you're going to fix it on any show, that's the show to fix it on. So moving on real quick before we wrap up, uh, moving away from the Marvel sphere Talking about Bullet Train. So Bullet Train's been out for a couple weeks now. I just haven't gotten an opportunity to go see it. And my wife and I went and saw it last night. And let me tell you, this movie was a blast. Like, this movie was an absolute blast. I had so much fun watching this movie. I thought there were so many good things about it. First and foremost, when I get my movie reviews, the one the one question I'll answer is, is this, is this a movie that you should see in theaters. And my answer to this is yes. If, if you have an opportunity, I know it's not going to be out in theaters for probably too much longer since it's already been a couple weeks, but if you have an opportunity, watch this movie in theaters because some movies are just a watch, a better watch in theaters in general, right? Some movies are just a spectacle. I felt that way about Nope. Nope is a spectacle. That is a movie you need to go see in theaters if you have not yet seen that because it's just going to feel different when you watch it on DVD or when you watch it digitally in your home, 
Uh, the same thing is true of Spider-Man No Way Home. Like that experience watching it on your own TV or your computer screen is just different than it was in theaters. It's not the same. Top Gun Maverick is another perfect example that like that movie was made for the big screen. And uh, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of people agree it's now, I believe, just became the sixth highest grossing domestic movie of all time for the U.S., which good for it. It should be. And honestly, it uh, wouldn't surprise me if it goes a little bit higher even. Uh, but Bullet Train is another movie. I not putting it on the level of those in terms of like, I, I mean, it's not Top Gun Maverick in terms of being like an all time great movie, but it was highly enjoyable and it was meant for the big screen. If I could describe this movie in a few phrases, the phrases that I would use are chaotic, fun, fast paced, mysterious, action packed, and funny. Like, like all those things wrapped up into one movie. This cast was incredible. The cast was absolutely amazing. I mean, you, you have a lot of heavy hitters. You have Brad Pitt, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, you end up having Sandra Bullock. She's not in a ton of it, but she does end up showing up. Uh, and, and, and so she's always good. And then you have uh, Brian Tyree Henry, who was also amazing. And him, Brad Pitt, and Aaron Taylor Johnson have just incredible chemistry together. You have Joey King, who is fairly new to Hollywood, but she crushed it. She was super good in the movie. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go into any spoilers, but there are some really fun cameos in this movie that are going to make you legitimately laugh out loud. I'm not going to spoil what that is, but there are some cameos where you're, you're, you're going to love it. One thing that surprised me about this movie is how much of a mystery it was. I kind of got the vibe that it was a little bit mysterious from the trailer, but watching the movie itself, it had you guessing the entire time. And there was always a, a mystery that kind of hung over the entirety of the movie and it made it really fun because you kept trying to figure out what the heck was going on. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was a mystery, but it was an action movie. One criticism that I've heard of the movie from multiple people is that they felt like it bounced around too much or felt like the movie was all over the place. And I didn't feel like it was all over the place at all. Not in a sense of it being like just unorganized and just sloppily thrown together. It definitely jumped around a whole lot, but when you see the movie, it makes perfect sense as to why it does that. And this movie is also based off of a book, and I haven't read the book, but my wife has. And from my understanding, based on what she's told me, that's exactly what the book is like. The book jumps around all over the place, and so the movie reflects that. But I think it does it in a really good way, and it keeps the movie really fast-paced, which, again... I like, I thought it fit really well. I didn't see it as a negative. Anyway, end of the day. Oh, also visually, the movie is great. Like, like the colors, the cinematography that the movie used, the, the, the camera work was fantastic. I give this movie pr probably about an eight out of 10. It was that enjoyable for me. Eight out of 10. I think it's definitely worth seeing. If you've seen bullet train, what did you think? Let me know again in comments or send an email, uh, comment on a video, whatever. What'd you think about bullet train? What would you rate it? That man, that's that's pretty much everything. One thing that I want to do each week is uh, just highlight somebody that's in my community, uh, mostly on TikTok. But as we build a following on like YouTube and stuff like that, I'll do it with that as well. But I I just want to do what I call like kind of a follower of the week shout out to people within my community that have just really been engaging super well and contributing to building up a positive pop culture community. Cause like I said, that's, that's one of the reasons I do this. I think that this space uh, with pop culture and fandom can be super toxic and I want to try to change that. I want to make it a really positive, encouraging 
welcoming place where we can share opinions, have difference of opinions, and still enjoy discoursing with one another and and be passionate about the things that we're passionate about. So uh, my, my follower of the week this week, shout out to at Switini. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. S-W-I-T-I-N-I-I. Uh, this dude is enge- engages on almost every single video I post, and he's so positive, and he's so encouraging, and, he, and he's always gassing me up with the different videos and making me feel like they're way better than they actually are. Uh, and and I, ju- I just truly appreciate that. So, Swatini, if you're watching or if you're listening, shout out to you. You're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm so glad to have you as a part of my community. And to anybody else that's listening, I'm so glad to have you as a part of the community as well, and I hope we can continue to build something awesome and make sure you guys do me a huge favor. If you're listening to this podcast, can you please, please, please make sure that you give a review for the podcast and subscribe. So uh, if you're listening to it through Apple Podcasts, make sure you review it on Apple Podcasts because that's huge and that pushes it out into the podcast space so that more people can see it, more people can hear it, we can grow our community or whatever platform you're listening to it on. Make sure you give a good review, like, subscribe, whatever you got to do and I appreciate every single one of you guys. So that's it for episode one of the podcast. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate each and every single one of you. Looking forward to talking about She-Hulk episode two, which comes out in just a couple of days. That's going to be a whole lot of fun. And until then, I'll catch you nerds later.